Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. We head back to Lisbon this week for another quick run around the ITS European Congress 2023, hearing from two CEOs, an inclusive mobility visionary, and an industry legend. I see some pavilions here, but this one is really standing out. Why? First, it's easily accessible. It's really nicely done in terms of marketing. But secondly, you see really the cooperation with all these companies. I'm on the campaign trail to keep reminding people to include as wide a user group as possible. The intention with our Go Green initiative is to address all the European Green Deal cities in the next 11 months. We sat there and they dimmed the light slightly and from the back of the room there was this tick-tick noise which I now know was a drummer hitting his drumsticks together to give the band the rhythm, the timing and then half of the band of the Grenadier Guards came in. And for a British person, that that is rather special. Green initiatives, technological improvements for the way people travel, international cooperation and memories of three decades of congresses. It's Highways Voices. Highways Voices, in association with partner organisations, the Transport Technology Forum, ITS UK, LCRIG, and adept. Hello from Paul Hutton, all that's come on the podcast from Highways News, while on the website Highways News, co-owner Adrian Tatum picks out his stories of note. Southampton City Council has successfully secured £875,000 from the Department of Transport's Safer Roads Fund. This aims to enhance the safety and ultimately help prevent fatal and serious injuries on the road networks across the country. The A3025 Portsmouth Road corridor in Southampton was identified by the DFT as one of the top 50 highest accident and risk A roads in England. The council has now submitted to the government proposals for safety improvements along Portsmouth Road from the city boundary to the city centre. These measures include new zebra crossings, upgrades to crossing points, improved crossing and separation for cyclists and a lower speed limit, reducing it from 30 to 20 miles an hour. Extra funding will nearly double Suffolk Highways' 11 million annual roads maintenance budget, but will be targeted at residential streets, which are typically maintained less frequently, rather than busy in A and B roads this year. And elsewhere, women face persistent barriers when entering and working in the transport sector at all levels, according to new research and toolkit from the World Bank's Sustainable Urban Mobility for All initiative and POLIS, funded by the FIA Foundation. The report, Gender Imbalance in the Transport Sector, a toolkit for change, was launched at the International Transport Forum Summit in Leipzig last week. The report is the result of a pioneering research examining existing data and conducted in-depth interviews and surveys to build a comprehensive global analysis of employment practices and women's lived experience of working in the sector. It found that just 16.8% of those working in transport worldwide are women, representing only 5.5% of the workforce in the Arab states, for example, and 10% in Africa. This compared to 29% in North America. Don't forget, we're the only place you need to go for everything you need to know. Well, when it comes to highways and transport news, anyway, we are Highways News. Check out our website for how you can find our Twitter and LinkedIn feeds, and you can sign up to our daily email into your inbox every lunchtime. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Taylor. Swarco improves quality of life by making the travel experience safer, quicker, more convenient and environmentally sound. 
from software as a service traffic management solutions to parking, VMS, EV charging and road marking too. Find out how Swarco can deliver more efficient and safer traffic management. Swarco, the better way every day. And talking of Swarco, the company's CEO Michael Shush is on his way on this podcast. And before we finish today, we've also got Professor Eric Sampson reflecting on his years at Congresses as he retires. But first, let's start by hearing from Joost van Tom, who's CEO of Ertico ITS Europe, who organised the ITS European Congress in Lisbon. And while he was there, he visited the UK Pavilion to sign a cooperation agreement with the Transport Technology Forum and afterwards told me all about it. This is indeed a unique opportunity, I would say, to bridge some gaps and to say, well, we connected dots. I connected dots with my eight sectors, with the European institutions. However, there's so much traction I see in the UK in terms of deployment of technology, innovation, and we cannot go separate. So we will cooperate even more than actually done in the past. And DFT, Department of Transportation, is a really good partner in Ertico. We're expanding this now with, with the TTF, which is actually bridging also with the local communities, like with uh, the work that Polo is doing. And, and that's exactly what we're going to do. So if you can make it happen in the Brussels complex ecosystem, I'm sure we can export this, I would say, tips and tricks on how to do the fabric with the UK together. There's a key thing about the uh, commitment of the ITS industry in the UK to look uh, globally and post-Brexit taking part in European and World Congresses is more important than it's ever been. I, as a British person, am particularly proud of the UK pavilion here, right in the middle of the exhibition hall, uh, showcasing some of our best innovations. Uh, How important is it to Ertico to have the British here and have such a major profile. Well, it goes without saying, Paul, that you're extremely important. I see uh, some pavilions here, but this one is really standing out. Why? First, it's easily accessible. It's really nicely done in terms of marketing. But secondly, you see really the cooperation with all these companies. You, you showcase public side, you showcase cooperation with other associations like ITS UK, for example. I see Manchester here, uh, but also SMEs and startup companies. Angoka was an SME. I mean, these are really doing good things in, in cybersecurity, for example. We've given them the award also as, well, emerging SME for the future. And, and it's really nicely done. I like the setting and I like the, the open, genuine way of talking with each other and reaching out, literally reaching out to others. You have every ingredient to cook the meal. That's exactly what we do at the other side of the channel. And I want to close the bridge with the channel. I take the Eurostar and just um, um, take me one hour and a half. So why don't we do that now as a firm partnership with Ertico and my 121 partners and continue this, this yeah, I would say cooperation, but tangible deployment. And, and in terms of Congresses, Um, This is the ultimate moment to showcase, to make tangible what we is, what is ITS, because for a lot of people it's still a bit vague. Well, come and look here and watch what we do. The next one will be the World Congress in Dubai, which I'm organizing with my team, with the colleagues of ITS America and Asia Pacific. And I just invite you to come over and to be very present there and showcase. I really hope we will be. And you're about 18 months now into your time as CEO. I, as an outsider, have seen huge changes in Ertico and a real focus on, as you say, connecting the dots and practical changes. How far along your vision are you already, Joost? Well, thank you for the flattering comment. The first thing I did is scanning the environment internally in the team, but also with my partners. Are we still on the right track? We talk about CCAM, Connected Automated Mobility. 
are we still needing research there or do we need to deploy actually and finally uh, if I see what's happening in the US in uh, South um, Korea in China and Japan yeah the second thing is getting the focus area sharper um, urban mobility is the next big thing that we are adventuring and we have a very structured way of doing things with local communities but also with micro mobility for example where also uh, technology steps in on bikes and these kind of things space management in cities so another thing and freight and logistics, extremely important. You know, COVID has shown that delivering goods to your household or to wherever is of extreme importance. So there, technology, data sharing, standardization is key. And finally, clean mobility, still very present. The Green Deal, what you have done in the UK is really going far in terms of commitments also as a country. And, and that's, these focus areas will probably remain. We will sharpen a bit with new things coming in, like data spaces, data exchange, metaverse, another thing we have to take care of. And so this immaterial reality, we make it tangible, we make it material and see how technology can glue everything together. That's Joost van Tom, the excellent CEO of Ertico ITS Europe, being very complimentary about the Transport Technology Forum-led UK pavilion. And credit to the team at Elkrig for the amazing job they did putting the stand together, along with the 12 industry supporters that you heard from on last week's podcast. If you didn't catch it, it's well worth going back and hearing about some great innovation, plus the views of the UK ambassador to Portugal who visited the stand last week as well. Now, the issue of how those less able than most are able to get around the transport network is vitally important. So while I was in Lisbon, I caught up with Sandra Witt. Witzel, Chief Marketing Officer at Global Mobility as a Service Tech Provider, Skedgo, which has long been an advocate for and enables through its technology more sustainable, active and accessible mobility solutions. I chatted to her just after she presented a paper on accessibility. With my paper, I really wanted to open people's eyes to show them uh, what's out there in terms of mobility technologies that can make transport more accessible. So obviously, with technology or with mobility as a service applications, we can't change existing infrastructure and we can't undo what's already been done that is not accessible in terms of hardware. But we can provide customised information and tools that can help people have better access to transport. So, for example, with our own applications at Sketgo, we really focus on making them as accessible as possible so they're screen reader friendly so people who are blind or vision impaired can use them easily we've simplified our interfaces and we have for one of our clients in the us for example who very much focuses on paratransit so transport for people with medical needs and disabilities we've also included the option to add information so that drivers know what to expect when they pick up a passenger so that users can really customize the journey for themselves as well so for example they can add wheelchair routing as a feature into the app so the app knows that they would need a different journey plan compared to someone else. When I worked with ITS UK, I used to go to the Inclusive Mobility Forum meetings and it became really clear to me that accessibility was often an afterthought in transport and wasn't actually sort of factored in from the beginning. And then what happened was technology developers would, because they hadn't deliberately included everybody from the beginning, accidentally excluded people. That's unfortunately still the case, which is why I'm on the campaign trail, to keep reminding people to 
include as wide a user group as possible. So what I like to say to people is think about the people who are not in the room. They need to use transport as well. Think about yourself when you're 85 years old. That sort of should give you a picture as well of what, what you need. And consult with some groups. There's so many disability groups, advocacy groups. There's so many experts that are really easy to get in touch with who are really happy to share their knowledge and their expertise. So there's really no excuse anymore to not do that. I'm really hoping that over time we can improve this situation. I still see it on the the new mobility services, for example, if you look at autonomous shuttles that are currently being developed. They're not very accessible and they're brand new. It's a brand new technology. We're already leaving people behind again, which is really sad. So you're on the campaign trail to change things. What are you doing and what sort of reception are you getting? So I'm doing things like this here at the Congress. I'm submitting papers on this topic and and I speak about it. That is usually quite well received. And and after my talks, I quite often have people come up to me and say, well, that was really interesting and I'd like to learn more and can we integrate you into this project, which is really good. I publish articles on the topic. I'm also, as I mentioned before, I'm on the board for the Research Institute for Disabled Consumers in the UK and they do consumer research. They have a panel of over 3,000 disabled and elderly citizens who help them do research and then they publish those results and really show what needs to happen for these users to make anything accessible. It's a constant awareness raising and education and nudging mission that I'm on. Because so much of our transport network is a legacy system that's, you know, 150 years old in places, what can technology do to make existing infrastructure more accessible? And how achievable is it to create a universally accessible transport network? Obviously, technology has its limits. We do need to work on improving the infrastructure, absolutely. And especially in the UK, I I see that the investment in that has been neglected for decades because if you look at other countries where there's more investment in rail, in public transport in general, these services are often a lot more accessible because they're newer. So we really need to upgrade our infrastructure. The UK only has train stations. Only have, I think, 2% of stations have level boarding. So level boarding means there's no gap and no step to step from the platform onto the, the, the carriage. And that's just a really, um, really bad statistic because that prevents people from uh, spontaneous and independent travel, which is really important when you're disabled. That's a really big, big issue for people that prevents them from employment opportunities, just prevents them from experiencing their life like everybody else. So investing in the infrastructure is really, really important. And for that, we need the policymakers to be on board and, and put pressure on, on governments and, and really push that through. What we can try with technologies is bridge some of the gaps and fill those with information and use the data that we have. 
to help people and navigate the transport system. So for example, there's some really great applications out there for indoor navigation. So that's someone who's blind or vision impaired or someone who's neurodiverse, who might struggle with crowded environments, who has a learning disability. It will help them to navigate a busy station and figure out how to find the right, uh, the right bus stop, the right platform. They can even now detect where the door is, which bus or train it is, where there's an empty seat. So there's a lot that technology can offer in those regards. Sandra, we will talk more in a future Highways Voices. We're out of time now, but it's an extremely important cause that you're fighting and I wish you all the best with it. Thank you very much. You're listening to Highways Voices with content from the ITS European Congress 2023 in Lisbon. We'll hear from Michael Shush of Swaco and Professor Eric Sampson after we've heard what our podcast partners are up to. Highways Voices, with the latest news and events from our partner organisations Elkrig, ADEPT, the Transport Technology Forum and ITS UK. As you heard in my interview with Joost van Tom, the Transport Technology Forum has boosted its knowledge sharing and collaboration by signing a letter of engagement with the European Intelligent Transport Systems Association, Ertico ITS Europe. The two organisations will work together on areas of mutual interest and needs. They'll also promote each other to their own networks through communications and events. Ertico will take part in relevant TTF working groups and events and invite TTF to attend events organised by Ertico, including Focus On, workshops and relevant project and platform meetings. Ertico will support the TTF's work through the streetwise group of highways authorities in England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland as appropriate, and the new engagement plan will enable the TTF to enhance knowledge sharing through the Ertico network, particularly regarding EU activities such as forthcoming regulations and standards, as well as outputs from European expert groups. The TTF will in return disseminate the findings from Ertico projects and platforms to build impact. The two organisations have also agreed to identify opportunities for joint white papers where their activities are aligned and the TTF will take an active role in Ertico organised ITS World and European Congresses. News from ADEPT and three projects have received ADEPT President's Awards celebrating their work in local places. Surrey County Council won the digital innovation and technology category for a project creating an immersive game that increased engagement with the under 35s. The delivering clean growth category was won by Essex County Council for its retrofit program which significantly increased the delivery of retrofit through supporting SMEs and providing training. And Shaping Places for People was won by the London Borough of Newham for a project providing funding and skills to enable local people to create projects to benefit their community. A new special recognition award went to Farah Hussein from Newcastle City Council. ADEPT's new three-year strategic plan, Placing Communities First, was also launched last week at its spring conference. The draft agenda for this year's Elkrig Innovation Festival has been released, with delegates set to hear about skills, emerging technology, maintenance solutions and the latest innovations. The event, which is taking place on the 4th and 5th, 
25th of July at Newark Showground will bring together local authorities, central government, the supply chain, associations and academia. The overarching theme for this year's event is showcasing emerging technology and maintenance solutions. And there'll be a debate on that along with a Meet the Innovators session. There'll be an update on Elkrig's innovation procurement system, a session about developing new skills and innovation in highways, plus demonstrations and an exhibition. And there'll also be a chance to score qualifying innovators and enjoy food stalls and evening entertainment. There are a limited number of fully funded council places, which include accommodation and catering. You can go to the Elkrig website to find out more. And finally, ITS UK is gearing up for a really busy June. First up, members are invited to join an ITS delegation from Australia for a reception in London on the 6th of June, meeting representatives from the Australian Centre for Connected and Automated Transport and learning more about the market and how our two nations are working together in the field of transport technology. Then over the week of the 12th, there are advocacy and public affairs group and enforcement forum meetings, plus an event with Tech UK on Smart Cities for London Tech Week and the sold out parliamentary reception. Plus on the 20th of June, a joint workshop with ASIN titled ITS and Automotive Clash of the Systems. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. So on Highways Voices, let's go back to Lisbon. Always a highlight of any Congress is to chat to our friends at Swaco, and I'm really pleased to have got one of the busiest men in the event, uh, so a few minutes of his time, Michael Shush, the CEO of Swaco. Michael, thanks again for talking to us on Highways Voices. Big announcement here in Lisbon, your new Go Green initiative. That's correct, Paul. Always good to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Swaco launched its Go Green initiative during this Congress. The intention with our Go Green initiative is to address all the European Green Deal cities in the next 11 months until inter-traffic April 2024. And what it is, is actually by means of a virtual reality experience on urban mobility management, we would like to engage with city stakeholders, present them our solutions, how Swaco can help them in achieving their ambitious climate goals. And so how can Swaco help them in achieving their ambitious climate goals? Well, we focus on mobility, and in this case, it's the urban environment. And what we do is basically we provide them solutions how to optimize the traffic flow throughout the city, how to reduce pollution. And as you know, probably the transport and mobility sector accounts for 25% of the carbon emissions globally. So it is a very hot topic. But it is also about integrating micromobility, improving pedestrian safety, getting rid of park surge traffic or reducing park surge traffic, all this should lead actually to also helping them in achieving their climate goals. And this is kind of how you as CEO are putting together the different parts of the Swaco business into one holistic solution. It's not me actually, but it's a team of people that is working on it. I have to say brilliant people that have came up with this concept actually to integrate, as you rightly said, all the bits and pieces we have in our organization and present it in a very neat way, in a very simple to understand way and also in a little gamification way to explain them what is possible today with the technology we have. I was interested, I was at the UK user group meeting moderating a session for Swaco a couple of weeks ago and what was 
interesting to me was how since you acquired Dinic, it wasn't just about acquiring the customers, it was about acquiring some of the technology that Dinic had and then integrating it into the Swarco offering. That is correct, actually. That's also how we looked at Dinic when we made the decision actually to acquire them and integrate them and we wanted to combine the best parts of those two companies actually and make it even better than each company standalone. And the UK market which we were referring to was actually very beneficial for us because we were very complementary beforehand. So we were not really competitors. We were complementary in our offering but we were addressing the same customer at the end of the day. And now we can provide them a totally integrated solution, actually. Michael, thank you for your time. Can I book you half an hour in InterTraffic and you can tell me how Go Green has gone? I would love to, actually. And this is in 11 months from now, and I hope we can then tick the box to say we have visited all 112 cities that have committed to the European Green Deal. Fantastic. I will see you in Amsterdam. Thanks, Michael. Hope before that, Paul. <laughs> Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Highwaysnews.com. In any walk of life, we have eras. And here in Lisbon, there is the end of one because there is, I think the only person left on the planet who has been to all the ITS World Congresses and most of the ITS European Congresses, and certainly since he retired from the Department of Transport, he's been an ever-present at these events. He is Professor Eric Sampson, CBE, and it is his last ITS Congress as the Senior External Advisor to Ertico and Chief Rapporteur, who has a team of rapporteurs that go to the sessions, note down what's going on, and Eric does the closing summary of the event. Now, you can read all about that on Highways News, but I wanted to talk to Eric about reflections of three decades of coming to Congresses. And Eric, when you first were involved in the setting up of the first World Congress uh, that took place in Paris in 94, did you ever imagine it would end up being something as it is now? Oh, no. And I didn't for a moment expect there to be separate European Congresses. The first one came in 1999 when a marvellous man called Job Kleinhout, no longer with us, said, if we put an apostrophe in and we can write this down as it's Amsterdam, because I've noticed, he said, that the big Congress Centre in Amsterdam, the Rye, is available um, in this period, we could run a European version of the World Congress just for Europe, which indeed we did. I had... Up to that point, I, it never occurred to anybody, I think, that we would have other than World Congresses. The European Congress is obviously smaller, more intimate, shorter events than the World Congress, but a lot of business gets done and a lot of really good knowledge sharing. It is a relentless three days, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I may not be phrasing this very well, but given the World Congresses are that and that they migrate around the world... It's sometimes harder for more junior people, I mean, for example, university lecturers rather than senior professors, to get the funding to go to one of the World Congress events. The fact that it's in Europe with much cheaper communications and ability to get around means that you get a more techie audience, you get a younger audience on the whole, and the sessions buzz. I mean, one of my lovely moments at any Congress is just going onto the floor or going into any of the session rooms, just listening. 
and the buzz tells you, yeah, something's happening. Now I'm going to put you on the spot. Highlights of World and European Congresses over the years, because I find in the years I've been going to them, sometimes it's difficult to actually separate the location and what actually happened. Now, Melbourne counts as both it was a brilliant congress and a fantastic location. Sometimes the location can be a bit meh, but what's talked about is really interesting and vice versa. What, what are your reflections? I have a number of memories, things that happened for good or less good, which stick in the mind. One from Paris is we'd had an opening ceremony and all the VIPs got on to a an escalator to go up to a reception on the floor above. We were standing, there were two on every step of the escalator, and it started moving, and then it stopped, and it dropped back all of a centimetre. But all that ran through my mind was, oh, God, what's going to happen? You know, I've got all these VIPs, and they're all going to be in a heap at the bottom. Well, they weren't, and we came out of that okay. The memory I have from London is really quite magical that... I was the chief organiser. My staff would not tell me about the opening ceremony. So we sat there and they dimmed the light slightly. And from the back of the room, there was this tick, tick noise, which I now know was a drummer hitting his drumsticks together to give the band the rhythm, the timing. And then half of the band of the Grenadier Guards came in. And for a British person, that, that is rather special. My first visit to China, for the World Congress was exciting. I suddenly discovered, and I don't know for what reason, I hope it was not too sinister, I had a police escort. Anywhere I went, I got a police car with um, flashing blue lights and hooters that would take me from place to place, which is very nice. I've asked Ertico for that, but they can't do it. (laughs) Memories of other places, Stockholm, for example, gorgeous city, got more canals than Venice, I'm told, but they don't shout about it. Certainly got more islands than Venice. And that was an amazing place. Paul, you mentioned Melbourne. That was terrific. New York. I didn't like New York, but it was a good meeting. There was very good content. But they've all got something special. Of the Europeans, Turin sticks in my mind. We were allowed, some of us were allowed to drive around in little cars on the roof of the Lingotto building, rather like the Italian job, only we were limited. I think it was either 15 or 20 kilometres an hour. I can walk faster than that, but it's still exciting to think here I am driving on the roof of the Fiat factory. You mentioned London and you organised that. That was my first World Congress when I was still, gosh, I was still working the first of the two radio traffic news companies I worked for at the time. And we actually provided, we made money out of that event. No exhibitor ever makes money because we provided the radio station that was specifically there for that week. And I think that was when I realised the scale of the difference between the ITS industry and the value and the money that's in there compared to the radio industry that I'd known for all my career up to then. Was London the real highlight for you because it was kind of yours? <laughs> no, I think it's, it sticks in the mind for other reasons. I was at the Department of Transport at the time and the permanent secretary, I thought extremely wisely, basically said he wanted all ministers and all directors general and directors to go to the congress 
his line was, you'll learn something, I don't know what it is because I haven't been yet, but it won't come to London again in our lifetime, we've got to make the most of it. And I thought, you know, that's a very sensible approach. And the Director of Aviation went and learnt something, Director General for Maritime went and learnt something, and... I think we all learn something, as you do from every Congress. You go there with a view on, I'm going to see this, I'm going to talk to these people, and you come back with a bonus. You've seen something you didn't know was there, and you've talked to somebody that, without putting it too unkindly, you didn't know they existed. Interesting point you make there, Eric, because... The return on investment is often looked at by companies, especially when you're looking in the private sector. So actually, let's step back now on your overall experience of World Congresses. Is there anything you can point to on, because of the Congress, this happened in transport? That sort of thing, where there was a real knowledge share that actually had a tangible benefit, or is it more subtle than that? It's not easy to think of an example. What comes to mind goes way back to Yokohama, where there was a colossal display of very early satnav. And I think everybody looked at it and thought, well, it's, it's not very affordable, it's not very fast, the screens aren't very good, but what it does is actually unique. And I, I believe that the development of SatNav into what we've got now was triggered by everybody looking at these examples. Japanese government had put a lot of money into sponsoring seven, eight Japanese companies to develop a product. Some of them were rather clunky, others total opposite. I think the real-time information supply to vehicles has also been triggered by the Congress. You get a demonstration of something and other players see it and think, I can do that, but I can do it better. So that triggers innovation and the deployment. Finally, you're retiring from your role with Ertico, but I presume that a bit like old Formula One drivers just end up going and doing something, either media or corporate hospitality, because they can't quite give up the touring around the world that they're so used to. Is that going to be you? Are we still going to see you at Congresses in the future? I hope so. There are some in the future that I very much want to go to. The programme beyond uh, 2024 is still... Well, it hasn't been released yet. I've heard some ideas as to what's coming. And if what half of what I hear is true, then I will be going to them in some capacity or another. Eric, always a pleasure to talk to you. And I hope that at the end of this Congress, you'll get a really, really big cake and maybe a drink that's slightly stronger than that. I suspect half of that will be true, at least. Thanks, Paul. It's been a, this is not the first podcast we've had. Thank you for all of them. An industry legend indeed. My great friend, Professor Eric Sampson, almost rounding off this special Highways Voices. But I say almost because before we go, we have time to nip back to Adrian Tatum for... Adrian's Accolade. And my accolade this week goes to National Highways. Often criticised for raising emission levels by building new roads... It has been highlighting several initiatives on its projects to help people make useful alternative ways of getting about as the country celebrates National Walking Month. These initiatives include the introduction of new footpaths and cycleways, and these can be found on several recently opened schemes in the southeast of England, and one which are still in construction. 
In the road investment period running till November 2025, National Highways introduced eight new schemes with pedestrian cycleway lanes in order to encourage people out of their cars and onto alternative modes of travel. This is part of the National Highways Net Zero Plan to help reduce emissions under the UK Climate Change Act. We're the winners of my accolade this week. Thanks, Adrian, for this week's Adrian's Accolade. Where we tip our hat to amazing things happening in our industry. So that's it for this week's Highways Voices. Next week, we'll have a global TV star and a British Olympic gold medalist turned transport guru join us on the podcast as I'll be chatting to Richard Hammond from the Grand Tour, formerly of Top Gear, and also Active Travel England Commissioner Chris Boardman. You really won't want to miss it. Catch you next Wednesday. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry. 